Hello and welcome to 1 Minute and 43 Seconds, a true Unsolved Mysteries podcast. If you're a listener of the show, you probably realize that I'm interrupting our regular cadence of episodes with this, but I felt it was important to discuss this sooner rather than later, since it's such a recent case, and there could be an update at any minute. And for the families of the victims we're going to talk about today, I hope that update comes soon and in the form of justice. Today's case brings us to the small college town of Moscow, Idaho. Moscow is on the northwest part of Idaho, on the Washington border, the University of Idaho, southwest corner of the city. Until recently, the relatively relaxed and quiet town of Moscow hadn't seen a murder since 2015. But all that changed three weeks ago, when someone made their way inside an off-campus house and brutally murdered four University of Idaho students. They had their entire lives ahead of them, and while their family should be planning for holiday celebrations, they're now left desperate for answers as to who could have done this and why. Also left grappling with the absolute shock of what happened are the residents of Moscow. At just over 25,000, half of them students at the University of Idaho, Moscow was once a place where people sometimes didn't even bother to lock their doors. Now, people don't even go out after dark. Some classes are canceled, and the university, to accommodate a student body, still reeling from this unspeakable tragedy. So before we dive into what happened here, we need to talk about the four victims. First, we have 21-year-old Kaylee Goncalves, who was a member of the Alpha Phi sorority. Tragically, she was set to graduate this winter and already had a job lined up in Austin, Texas. Kaylee was one of five siblings. Next, we have 21-year-old Madison Mogan, who was the best friend of Kaylee. And when I look at photos of the two of them together, I have to say they look like sisters. The two did, after all, grow up together. Maddie, as she was known, was a marketing major and belonged to Pi Beta Phi, She loved country music, and she had a boyfriend of a year by the name of Jake. Our third victim is 20-year-old Zaina Kernodal. She was a junior at the University of Idaho. Zaina and Madison also worked together serving tables at a local spot called Mad Greek Restaurant. And finally, we have 20-year-old Ethan Chapin. Ethan was the boyfriend of Zaina Kernodal, and the two had been together for about a year. Ethan was a freshman, and he was born a triplet, and all three of the siblings attended the University of Idaho. Ethan was also a member of the Sigma Chi fraternity. So just before noon on the morning of Sunday, November 13th, a 911 call came in for a report of an unresponsive person at 1122 King Road, one of the last houses on a dead-end street. This was the house that five people shared, a sixth person being on the lease that wasn't present. And if I'm correctly understanding the dynamic, uh, it included our three female victims, Maddie, Kaylee, and Zaina. And two other women also lived there by the name of Dylan and Bethany. Once police arrived at the house on 1122 King Road, they discovered that they were dealing with something far more sinister than an unresponsive person. 
It was then that they discovered the four victims stabbed to death by a large knife, apparently an attack that occurred in the early morning hours while the roommates slept. Now, I believe Kaylee and Maddie's bedroom was located on the third floor while Zaina and her boyfriend Ethan were sleeping on the second floor. Chillingly, Bethany and Dylan, who were on the first floor, were unharmed and were not alerted to anything amiss as they slept. Can you imagine anything more traumatizing? So let's back up a little bit to the day prior and talk about the timeline. November 12th was a Saturday, and each of the roommates were out on the town, although not together. Kaylee and best friend Maddie spent the evening at a local sports bar by the name of Corner Club in downtown Moscow. They stayed there until 1.30 in the morning. At 1.40 a.m., they were seen on video ordering food from a local food truck, and this surveillance has been making its way around the news. Uh, The video of the girls at the food truck shows them talking to a few people as they order food, um, including one guy who caught the eye of investigators early on. Uh, He's since been dubbed as Hoodie Guy. This was a guy who appeared on the video stream at the food truck. He waits for the girls as they order food, and while they wait for their food at another window, he strikes up another conversation with some other people. When the girls get their food, they leave and walk out of the camera's view. Meanwhile, Hoodie Guy was talking to someone who pointed out that the girls that he arrived with were leaving. Hoodie Guy is seen kind of raising his hands in a confused manner like, Hey, you're you're leaving? He's then seen walking off camera, but in a different direction than the girls. And this was seen as suspicious, and it's been the source of a lot of speculation amongst people that are discussing this case. And most recently, the audio has been released from this live stream, and it's alleged that one of the girls, I believe Maddie, is seen swearing at this guy. But it's unclear exactly what the confrontation involved. It's essential to note that this person has been identified and cleared by police. They have said they don't believe he's involved, and I get why people would raise their eyebrow at this guy based on what happened, uh, especially since the audio was released and it seems like the girls were either ditching him or there was some small confrontation. But I tend to trust the investigators in this case. I feel like this was maybe just a guy at the bar was interested in hanging out, but his plans didn't work out the way he was hoping. After they left the food truck, the girls ordered a car to take them back to their house. They used a private party service, uh, which I'm not sure what that means, but I'm assuming it was Uber or something similar, uh, but I don't know. Their driver that night is not believed to be involved in their murder either. Now we have Ethan and Zayna, who are out separately from Maddie and Kaylee. Ethan and Zayna's timeline is a little more unclear, and at the time I'm recording this on Tuesday, December 6th, the police have actually come out and said they're looking for people to help them figure out Ethan and Zayna's timeline. At first I heard that they were at a party at the Sigma Chai fraternity house from 8 to 9 p.m., which I believe Ethan was a member of. 
Um, but the information that I saw that was released today states it believes that they were there from 9 to 1.45 in the morning. What we do know for sure is that all the roommates were back at the house on 1122 King Drive by 2 a.m. that morning. And here's something I found interesting. Phone records showed that Kaylee made several calls to her ex-boyfriend, a man by the name of Jack. He's also a student at the University of Idaho. All of these calls went unanswered, and the calls stopped at 2.52 a.m. Oddly enough, phone records show that Maddie had made several calls to Jack as well at the same time that Kaylee was making the calls. Now, when I first heard this, it raised an eyebrow, but Kaylee's family has come out and said this wasn't uncommon behavior for her. When she had a question or just something random she wanted to communicate, it wasn't out of the ordinary for her to continuously call someone until they picked up. It's important to note that the police don't believe that Jack was involved in the killings later that night. Police believe that the murders took place sometime between 3 and 4 a.m. on Sunday, November 13th. As I mentioned before, there were no suspicions raised until just before noon the next day when the surviving roommates realized something was wrong. As I also mentioned earlier, the original 911 call was for an unresponsive person at the house. Now, it's speculated that perhaps the doors to the victim's bedrooms were locked and that the surviving roommates tried to wake them by knocking, or maybe they've heard a phone ringing or an alarm going off, but no one was silencing it, so it just kept going off. Um, I want to be clear that I haven't seen this information from law enforcement, but this has been a theory that's been put out there. The police also have not released the 911 call and have not said who made the 911 call. Also found at the scene was Kaylee's dog, Murphy. The dog was not in one of the rooms where the attacks occurred, and the police have said they did not recover any evidence on the dog. They also had no indication that the dog entered the crime scene. What wasn't found at the scene was the murder weapon, or any clothes that the killer could have been wearing at the time. One would think in that case that whoever did this would have to have fled the house with a significant amount of blood on them. It would be incredibly difficult not to after violently attacking four people. The house that was shared by these victims was said to be a party house, or one that the girls and friends would socialize in frequently. Because of this, people had been in and out of the house. I also read that although the girls had one of those coded locks to get into the house, the code was not currently activated. So people would oftentimes just let themselves in. Now, allegedly, Kaylee and Maddie were sleeping in the same bed on the third floor in Maddie's room. I believe Zayna and Ethan were on the second floor. According to a recent report by News Nation, Kaylee's injuries were said to be significantly more brutal than the others. People have speculated that this could mean that Kaylee was the target of the attacks, but I'm not so sure. First, if Kaylee was the target, why would the killer also murder Zayna and Ethan on the second floor? Second, as it has been pointed out, Kaylee and Maddie looked incredibly similar. It would probably be even harder to find out who was who in the dark, especially if they were asleep in the same bed. 
There's one piece of information that could lead investigators to think that Kaylee was the potential target, however. Friends allege that Kaylee had made a reference earlier this year to having a stalker. After some digging, police were able to identify an incident that occurred in mid-October that Kaylee could have been referring to. Kaylee was at a local business, and when she left, one of two men who were hanging out at the business followed her out to the parking lot. He did, however, turn away from her as she left and does not appear to have made any contact with her. And police actually tracked these two guys down and learned that their very purpose for hanging out at whatever business this was was to hit on women. Still, I don't put much weight on this, and I don't think these men are involved in what happened, given the information that we have today. When it comes down to it, I think this person is going to end up being someone that the victims were familiar with. Maybe the person wasn't necessarily their close group of friends, but an acquaintance or someone that they had met on occasion. I think this because whoever did this was able to enter the house in the middle of the night and somehow not wake the two girls on the first floor. The fact that the person navigated the house up to the second and third floor bedrooms suggests familiarity with the house, in my opinion. Of course, I have no way of knowing who the target in this case was or if there were multiple targets. I think it will be key to pin down the exact movements of Zayna and Ethan that night, since their timeline is a little fuzzier than Kaylee and Maddie's. Did something happen at the frat party? At this point, we have no way of knowing unless somebody comes forward, and perhaps they already have and the police aren't saying anything. I do think that law enforcement has a lot of information that they aren't revealing at this point, uh, but I'm personally confident that they are on their way to getting this solved. In the meantime, there are a number of ways you may be able to help in this case, whether you're a resident of Moscow or not. First, if you do live in the Moscow area, you're asked to upload any digital media you have from the evening of November 12th to fbi.gov slash Moscow, Idaho. No matter how inconspicuous it may seem, photos, videos, ring doorbell footage, whatever, it's possible that you hold a piece of information that the police don't have yet that could provide the missing link into what they need to solve the case. Secondly, spread the word about this case. It seems to me like a lot of people have been talking about this, but the more awareness, the better. There are still people I encounter on a daily business who haven't heard of this case yet. At the end of the day, there is a person out there who brutally killed these people, who had everything going for them. I encourage you to lend your voice to the conversation by sharing articles, updates, this episode, or anything else you can find on the case. At this hour, somebody who did this is still free. Finally, if you have any information at all about the murder of Kaylee, Maddie, Zaina, or Ethan, you're asked to contact the tip line at tipline at ci.moscow.id.us or call 208-883-7180. Even if you don't know what happened to them, maybe you spoke to one of them at the bar or a party, or maybe you saw something off and just didn't think anything of it at the time. This is an ongoing investigation, and at the time of this recording, 
it hasn't even been a month since the crime occurred. Unlike many of the cases that I've discussed on this podcast, this case is far from cold. My heart goes out to the families of these four victims and all their loved ones. This is obviously an unspeakable tragedy. And I pray that the families, friends, and the town of Moscow finds peace in the coming days. I'll be continuing to follow updates in this case as they develop. And if you'd like to stay up to date with my thoughts and updates, I encourage you to follow the podcast on Twitter at 143podcast. You can find sources and other episode information at 143mysteries.com. We're also on Instagram at 143mysteries. Thank you so much for being here, and please be well. We'll see you next time. One minute and 43 seconds is dedicated to my number one fan. Thanks, Dad. I love you, and I miss you. This podcast has been approved by Skipper the Cat. Right, Skippy?